Hi, this is Bill Comfy. I'm a teacher at First Church Ministries in Newport News, Virginia, and we're covering Genesis. It's uh, We're actually going into Genesis 5 today. We've uh, spent about a month gap. I, I was talking to Jose. It's uh, the blessings of uh, electronic media that we can take that gap and just go onward, and also that we can uh, have some longer lessons if necessary. Uh, and I'm very excited about this, uh, this passage. I think it's a a very important passage. I, I actually think that it doesn't get applied very well often, so we'll be talking about that. Um, let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your great love to us, that you care for us, that you have provided your word for us. And uh, the beauty of your word is, is tremendous, just gazing on it and studying it. And um, what we learn from it and how we apply it to our lives is, is, is giving us the and so, Lord, as we do that, I, I would pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that your spirit would dwell with us, and that you would just uh, show us great and wonderful things from your word, how much you love us, and how we can draw closer to you and love each other and love you. We pray in your name. So we are in Genesis, the, the first book of the Bible, um, and um, in many ways, uh, the most important one uh, of the Old, certainly of the Old Testament. Um, uh, the New Testament sort of explain, it explains the Old Testament, and there's a lot in here that gets explained very well in the New Testament. Uh, I'd like to talk about our splash screen, which is really Genesis 1, 26 through uh, 30, that um, this is a key verse of Genesis and a key verse of Scripture. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth, um, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's some really important things, again, been a bit of a gap for me. You guys may be watching this sequentially, but but I, I really want to take a bit of time to talk about uh, the image of God that we were made in the image of God, and that we were made to have dominion over the earth. Uh, now we weren't made to um, uh, use the earth in a cavalier fashion, but we were made to be stewards of it, to enjoy it. It was made for us. It was made for our enjoyment and for our fellowship with God, enjoyment and fellowship with God. And so it is a, a special privilege. Uh, I mean, it's, it, you cannot have words to really express what it means to be created in the image of God. Alone, of all creation, we are created in the image of God. And God, God wants our friendship. God loves us and wants us to be with him. And so it's very easy to pass over that, but, it, but we do that at our own peril. And, and one of the things we talked about in the earlier lessons is, is one of the things that means to be created in the image of God is we are created for community. That God himself is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God was complete in and of himself. There was no need to create others. He did because in himself he exists uh, in a relationship with, with uh, the, the three and one, the Trinity. And we can't really explain that. Every image we have is, is a... Uh, is a faulty image of three feet of two, like a family, or like a, 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 I've seen uh, examples.
of like a pride of wines or something like that where you all there there's this community there but there's different ones but they're together that's all expressions on on the plane of creation spiritually before god, god being uncreated and god self-existent there was community within god and so in, in god's simpleness and by that i mean god cannot be divided because god is as he is in that simpleness there seems to be some kind of community there that Part of what it means to be created in the image of God is for that for us too. And so uh, it's not husband, wife, uh, it's not uh, a family, husband, wife, child, but all those are part of it. Okay? And so, um, but we have a, and a wider community of, of people. Um, we are made as groups and, and uh, community. And because of that, when we go into this passage here, we need to understand what's going on here because the community's been rent asunder. Sin has rent us and hurt us, and in a way, the community has been destroyed and being rebuilt in Christ. So we're going to talk about that today as we go on. So let, let me go into this uh, some background in Genesis. It was given to the Israelites when they were freed from slavery, and uh, at, they would have to put them out Sinai. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were in Egypt 430 years, and 430 years were more probable years of slavery. And they were they were freed from that, and as they came out and, and camped in Mount Sinai, uh, they were given the law. And and Genesis is the first of the five books of the law, and uh, it talks about the creation or furnishing of the world and the creation of mankind being the crown of creation. So Genesis one talks about all of creation, um, but scientific account there is a creation, uh, you know, although it was not written as a scientific account, it's accurate. It explains things. It doesn't devolve into a bunch of gods fighting with each other. And, and the, the other purpose of it is to understand that there was one God who created everything and that we are part of the creation was made for us. Um, mankind and God did create the world for humans. And that's it. It's, and again, we don't want to abuse that privilege. And we do that and because of the fall, we take advantage of things. and. There's uh, lots of consequences from the fall of just things come awry, and yet it is a good creation. Yet it's mm -hmm. wonderful. It's, it's, it's beauty is immense. In fact, mankind is given the worship of creation sometimes with pantheistic things, like the whole overworld force or something like that. That because it's so wonderful that it's, it's mm -hmm. easy to think that that it is uh, it, it has some being in and of itself, but it doesn't. It's totally a creation of God. God is the one that superintends it. When you are a person of force or whatever you might say, uh, uh, then you're referring to God. And when you talk about like sending good thoughts your way, sometimes that's a, some of the euphemism that people say, I don't want to say we're praying for you or something. The idea of sending good thoughts only has a sense that there's a metaphysical reality behind everything, and that reality is God. So, um, but it talks about the furnishing of the world. Genesis 2 talks about man's special care of mankind, and we'll come back to that as we, we jump into chapter 5. We have, we have to sort of take a running leap into 2, 3, and 4, and then into 5. And then uh, man's temptation fall from exile, and then Genesis 4 talks about mankind after the fall, the consequences of fall. And so I, I, when we do this, I want, to, I want you to understand that Genesis is constructed around uh, 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 10 of uh, uh, sections that are, uh, that begin with 
these are the generations of. Um, the first one is in chapter two. So in chapter one of the prologue, it's just the background information. God created everything and made mankind in the image of God. And in chapter two onward, it's explained what that means, okay? And so we have in primeval history before the flood, we have five generations of, uh, generations of heaven and earth, of Adam, of Noah, of the sons of Noah and Shem. And then in patriarchal history, we have five more. But again, it's mentioned 11 times because if you look at uh, down at the fourth one, Edom is mentioned twice. It just talks about the generations of Edom twice in the same chapter. Just starts it over again. So we have five and five, which is is, is an interesting number. Um, the, the ten, uh, because there are ten generations um, from Adam to the flood um, with Noah, and then the ten, and then the table of nation covers ten after that. So there seems to be some structure there where people help them understand and memory memory memorize exactly what's going on there. Uh, and they're also, these five generations of primeval history become very important to understand the conception of things, okay? So when we talk about these are the generations of heaven and earth, you see it begins with chapter two, and it goes to chapter five. So what happens is you get chapter two with the creation of mankind, you get the fall, you get Adam and Eve with Cain and Abel, having Cain and Abel, um, Abel being slain by Cain, and then you get the line of Cain all the way down over that at the end of chapter four. And so the first generation of mankind is it said talks about generations of heaven and earth, but that's that's it from an earthly standpoint what happens there. Then he comes out and he says, These is the book of generations of Adam. Very interesting. Because it starts with Seth. Uh, but but really it it, it says, but but uh God made mankind as his image, and his image he made mankind, and then it goes and says, uh, and then created Adam. And then Adam had um, had a son after his own image and likeness and named him Seth. And so there, it's a rebeginning of this thing. So there's a second, there's a second line being traced out here, chapter five, and that's key to understand, and we'll come back to that. And then, then it talks about the generations of Noah and the sons of Noah and the generations of Shem. You'll see here, very interesting, I would, you would think, why isn't there a, um, the generations of Abraham? Abraham's important. Well, Abraham sort of breaks off on the tree, the family tree, back at Terah. His terror actually starts out for the promised land. And so what we see here is these lines break out in different areas in the story to tell about each of these lineages. And so we go into... Genesis chapter four, and we um, and we see we go back to where Cain and Abel are together. It says uh, uh, Adam and Eve uh, Eve had a child, and, and after and named him, I bore a man and named him Cain, and then she had Abel. And it says uh, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up to his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? Uh, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that, obviously, is this rhetorical question um, uh, that, 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 uh, that Abel asked, uh, that Cain asked, but it's actually, he is his brother's keeper. He asks us, the truth is, yes, I, you are. You're part of a community here. And the Lord says, what have you done? Well, we'll see your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood. 
when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield first ground, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. So here, here again, you get the generations of the heaven and earth. You get Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, he has Cain and Abel. Abel was slain. Cain continues on. And, and so the family of uh, Cain is, is traced out again in chapter 4. Cain was wife, and she conceived before him Enoch. And when he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born Ired, and Ired the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah the father of Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, the name of one was Ada, and the other was Zillah. Thankfully, they had easy names to pronounce. And Ada bore a Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the lyre and harp, uh, like lyre and pipe. And uh, Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, and he was a forger of all kinds of instruments of bronze and iron. And his sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So we see some stuff here. We see uh, we see several things. Number one, there's other people. And people say, well, how could there be enough people with Adam and Eve? And you can work out the math. It's been worked out before, but there could be plenty of people at this time, um, especially when Adam and Eve are living for, they live for about 900 years. So there's a, there's a lot of time to have children and children to have children and other things. Um, you see, uh, again, that mankind was created at the very beginning uh, he did not develop the skills of agriculture and stuff that 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 was Cain's initial occupation was he grew things and and Abel was a keeper of the flocks and here you see other things being developed and built and stuff you see technology starting out very early uh, questions come up uh, about well, what about uh, the cavemen and history and stuff like that and I I actually feel those are devolution from from mankind in other words mankind being separated and evolving not having enough to support the the, the knowledge and growth and that happens if we, we i've given an example for um, the roman empire um the great roads had uh, great coliseums and stuff mm-hmm. and yet at the fall of rome they forgot how to make concrete concrete was a lost art for many years uh, centuries actually before they figured out how to make concrete again so so things do get lost in the shuffle, so to speak, and groups that get isolated do tend to tend to evolve. They get evolved too, and, 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 and acquire new skills and talents and such. But but uh, this is what might be happening. I, I wanted I want to focus here though on the fact that, um, and again we covered this we covered this last time in more detail. But everything here is about technology. It's about them building things and doing things, which is great. That's what we're made to do. But there's not a spiritual side to this at all. In fact, it, the day, it, it devolves very, very quickly. We'll see in the next slide uh, with Lamech because it's just, um, it's just not there. It's just, it mankind's existing, growing, he's uh, in some ways prospering. Um, although there's a curse on the ground, he is able to wrestle through that uh, and make things and do things. And so we see in Genesis chapter 4, um, the last one, uh, Lamech says to his two wives, and again, uh, Lamech took two wives in 19 here. This He's seventh in the line. And uh, it says, uh, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a young man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. It came to revenge of 77-fold, and Lamech is 77-fold. And so what you see here at the very end of this line, is a 
boasting and an overweening pride that, that I, because someone hurt me, I, I, I paid vengeance 77 times. Mm. Okay. So God God protected Cain and, and promised sevenfold vengeance. I'm going to 77. I do what I want. There's this, this um, grasp of power in and of itself and in and mm. of himself that gets there. And that's how we see this line now. The end of the generations of heaven and earth ends here. Uh, we do see at the very end of this chapter the, a prelude to what begins on, on the, the next line. And we see, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also was born, also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So now we see we see this one line ending, we see a new line actually starting at this time too. And uh, now again, Seth wasn't necessarily born after Lamech. In fact, it almost definitely wasn't. Um, this, this line descended and now they're going all the way back up into the third name child of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have other children, but we see here in chapter five, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now again, if it was just starting, if it was if it was just Seth, they were talking about it, we started there, but they go back to Adam. And the reason it's going back is because now he's trying to trace a godly line out of here. So he says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man as when they were created. Again, we uh, a discussion at the end of chapter one. Chapter one ends this way, picks it back up this way. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Again, in his own likeness after his image, that was not said of Cain or even Abel. That was, that was the, the line that was after the fall. This is the one that's coming on, tracing on for not what, what it would have been like if there wasn't a fall, but the fact that there is a redeemed, a redeemed mankind that's, that's going to come out of this, one that follows God. Um, in the days of Adam, after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. And Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And when Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. And Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the day, uh, days of uh, Enosh were 905 years and he died. And when Kenan lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. And Kenan lived and fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived in the 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. And when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years uh, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
So we're going to stop here. That's not the end of the line, but it's seven here. So, so we have seven generations from Cain. Um, uh, that end in Lamech, and then we have the seven generations here that end in Enoch. And what we see is that Enoch walked with God. So there's a godly line. This godly line is continuing, so much so that, that there we get the example of Enoch who never died, who was no more. Uh, in fact, he may be one of the two people that might come back in Revelation. So talks about two witnesses coming uh, in Revelation, uh, and it's generally thought to be the law and the prophets, which would be Moses, and Elijah, uh, the prophet, major prophet, Elijah and Moses. Some people said maybe not Moses, maybe Enoch, because Elijah and Enoch are the only two people never to die in Scripture. So there's a possibility there. But mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, so we get a godly line here. That's what I want to emphasize. You get several other things too. One is it doesn't talk about their technical achievements. That's not to say they didn't have them, because they did. But but because Noah wind up building up. Huge arc. Okay, so there were te- they had technical ability, but that's not the focus here. The focus is they uh, they have sons and daughters, and they have there's a, a strong family component here, and they they have children, sons and daughters. And by the way, most genealogies in scripture don't talk about sons and daughters. They talk about so and so begat so and so. Basically, a, the lineage, the the male lineage through there to trace the history. Uh, but uh, and sometimes the women are included in different spots, but not not all the way through. Sons and daughters is very unusual. I think what's going on here is he's setting us up for what he's going to talk about next. So sons and daughters, there are there are people that can intermarry with one another. Okay, and I think that's one of the things he's talking about. Um, he's he, again um, the uh, long lives are listed here. We see this very sharp cutoff and. There's been speculation as to why this may be. I, I think it's very interesting because there's, there's, there's some, um, uh, in fact, I'm going to go back to the end. I have a slide at the very end uh, that I wasn't going to include, but I'm going to talk a little about now. But it's a uh, background of uh, info of long lifespans before the flood. And there's actually this uh, Sumerian king list here. And they, they actually think that, uh, that this was, um, uh, the folklore, uh, the legends of the Sumerian kings, and they lived, if you look up here, they lived like uh, uh, 28,000 years, 36,000 years. So, so I actually think with, this is a corruption of the Genesis account. I think, you know, it's sort of like, you go 10 years, why well, 100, you know, and it's this, this boasting, and the numbers are so crazy long type of thing. They say it's interesting. It's hard to imagine someone living 900 years, but you might conceivably be able to stretch your imagination that someone living uh, 48, 43,000, I think is the longest in there. That's a 43,000 years. That's a long time. <laughs> recorded history, recorded history is about 4,000 years. Okay, so so I mean, think about that. Um, so what I think was happening here. So so some people say, well, this. The, the Jewish people copied it from here, mm. who basically long lives. That doesn't make much sense to me because it's sort of like, why would they do that? Number one, why would they shorten it so much? Number two, what's going on here? Well, I can see it going the other way. Things grow over time. You know, the thing my friend had a little Honda Civic that was the size of a small closet, and now they're much, much larger type of thing. The cars tend to grow up every year and they're out of size. We tend to embroider and make things bigger. I think that's what's happening here. And I actually think, 
I, but I do think there was a longer time before the flood, and I think it was because it was in this godly line, and I think that basically intermarriage diluted that line and brought it down into a, uh, but you, we see a very big decline after the flood. But it, maybe, maybe not, you don't have to believe any of that, that's just my, my uh, little comments on you know, the outlay on this one. Um, but we, we get into, we get into the, the two generations though, uh, here and um, we, we see them side by side. Cain and his wife, which is born, and it ends at Cain's revenge is 70, sevenfold, and Lamech's is 77. And then we see the seven, the Seth line of Seth, and it goes through, and we see Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. And so we see a totally different um, vibration of here, a totally different. Uh, approach to who God is. Okay, this is, I don't need God, I can do better than God. This is, I love God, I'm walking with God. And then we get then we get the uh, eight through tenth generation. When Methuselah was 800, 187 years old, he fathered Lamech, different Lamech, by the way. Uh, Methuselah, Methuselah, so that's Methuselah that we normally say. Uh, lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, uh, days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And by the way, if you add that up, he died during the flood. The flood killed him. Now, he might have died before the flood started, but he died in the year of the flood. And when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son who called him Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, uh, this one, uh, at this point shall bring us relief from our work and obtain his toil of recompense. And Lamech lived uh, after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now if you're like me, you see a lot of numbers. You, you think, is there any meaning on this stuff? Like, is there any reason that Enoch lived 365 years, 365 days in a year? Is there any reason that, that uh, that uh, Lamech of 777 years, which is sort of a number of perfection, seven mm -hmm. being the number of the church, um, uh, the seven churches of, uh, in, in Revelation, seven cycles in Revelation. Um, is there something going on here? And the answer is maybe, you know, I, maybe. And it's not wrong to sort of look at those numbers and to get stuff out of there. I do think there's a structure to the five generations before the flood, and, or the five lines before the flood and the five lines after, but I wouldn't put a lot of weight in that. What I'm saying is there's some interesting stuff. For, for example, um, the genealogy of Matthew, um, in Matthew of Jesus, uh, talks about um, that from uh, Jesus was uh, king of the Jews, and so it starts at Abraham, this is all the way back, starts at Abraham. It goes to David, and then goes from David to the exile, and then goes from the exile to Jesus. And it says there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to Jesus. The problem is there's 17 in between. He actually leaves three off. Uh, and he knows he's living this way. He's like, it's not a mistake, it's not a scribal error, because he actually says, there are, he calls out there are 14 generations of 14 and 14. What's he doing there? Well, He's trying to help them give a memory aid. They cut out three of the minor ones that are not as important in that line. Do we have that? Okay. And he also, there's there's some speculation that the 14 is the number one, two times seven, easy to remember, but also that 
then maybe it's the waxing and waning of the moon. The moon waxes 14 days and wanes 14 days. And so from Abraham to David, the moon waxed. And then from David to the exile, it waned. And from the exile to Jesus, it waxed again. And Jesus is the end of it. So there could be that going on. And it's interesting to think about those things. And you don't drive your doctrine off of that stuff, is what I'm saying. So the numbers are in there, and the generations are in there. But don't drive too much of your doctrine off those numbers and stuff, because they're interesting. They can enrich our understanding. They can really help us think, wow, God, you've done these things, stuff like that. But, but um, uh, and, and, and how you fact the things, it really, but the doctrine is the doctrine that the Bible teaches, okay? These are the stories, and the stories are the basis for the doctrine that we still have. Mm-hmm. And so you need to understand that what Scripture teaches and, and really hold to that. So these numbers could be something. Noah's 500 years, nice round number, five generations uh, before Noah uh, did the flood, and then there's five sets of generations afterwards that it talks about. I don't know. But then it says this. This is, this is where the interpretation, this is why I, I, I go on the rabbit trails, like uh, Pastor Bob goes on the rabbit trails, so like rabbit trails sometimes. Um, in fact, we actually have a, a technical file at work. It's a whole file that has thousands of folders in there that I'd say one day I will sort out. It's called Bill's Rabbit Hole on the <laughs> server because there's interesting materials out there. Um, so again, chapter six now. Uh, when men began to multiply the face of the earth, of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took took as their wives uh, any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came to the, into the, came into the daughters of man, and they bore children by them. And these were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every attention of his thought of his heart was only evil, evil continually. And the Lord regretted he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out those whom I will I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. So we're going to come back to that passage. I actually should have had this um, a second time in the slideshow. We'll come back. But I want to talk to you a little about what's going on here. Because things change all of a sudden. You get you got the line that came and ended. You get the line that uh, Seth and it goes here. And then you get Noah. And all of a sudden it says, um, when man began to multiply in the face of the earth, the sons of uh, and daughters were born to them. So what is he talking about? Then he says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. And they took as their wives any he chose. And the Lord said, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. What happens here? I mean, I, so, so men, they're, they're, men are having daughters. Sons of God are marrying those daughters. And all of a sudden, God's saying, I'm not going to strive with man forever. This is going to go on forever. What's happening here? I mean, it's like, Wait, 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 what happened here that made God so angry with things? Then it talks about the Nephilim. Well, where in the world are the Nephilim coming from on this? Okay, I mean, all of a sudden, he talks about the Nephilim on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. 
And these were mighty men of old, men of renown. And so, well, maybe he's upset, has to do something with the Nephilim, but the Nephilim are mighty men. They're, they're men of renown. They're, 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 they're not, they're not um, notoriously bad men. They're, they're heroes. And yet, God, uh, they seem to be related to this. And by the way, the Israelites know they're going to the promised land. And there's, there's actually a lot of communication between Egypt and the promised land. They're going to get a Nephilim in there. Pentateuch talks about the Israelites having to fight against the Nephilim in this thing. So, so I think the reason Nephilim is here is one is, is to explain what's going on, how the Nephilim even came to be, because there's these giants in the land. And by the way, um, Goliath was a Philistine, but but he was super huge. But but there were other like other uh, races like him that we had these mighty men that were just like giants, literally, and and not clumsy giants that we normally, but just like truly heroic giant-like figures that did did things. So um, so this is going on. What's happening here? Um, and the Lord. Then it says, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. So now he's starting to explain it to Marquette. The wickedness of man on earth was great. And every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So all of a sudden, something's happened here. And, and, and something's changed in the time of Noah. So that, that all of mankind seems to be corrupt here. Because he says all of mankind. And he read it that he made man on the earth. Uh, and he grieved unto the heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry I've made them, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. So it seemed to hinge on these sons of gods and daughters of men. So, and people have said that. Something's happening here. What's happening here? Well, there's two major theories. Um, two major views is that the sons of God were spirits who intermarried uh, with mankind, the daughters of men. Um, the other one is that the sons of God represent the God of the line of Seth, and the daughters of men represent the line of Cain. Now, um, lest, lest we, we say one is more literal and more figurative, you say, well, I literally interpret the sons of God, that would be like the spirits, that's what that means type of thing. Um, both these views require some poetic interpretation, okay? Because as uh, you see here, we're going to go through this. Um, uh, let me go through the, the subpoints on this that I, I wrote down. It's a little late because I wrote this down just before I came. Um, so this view tends to uh, appears to the best account for the Nephilim super abilities. Okay, so if the if, if the spiritual being came down and married, then that 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 would explain the super abilities because they got spirit super spiritual. They got spiritual. Abilities and and the human and so some hybrid out there. Um, it does have some support um, for uh, in Job, sons of God. Okay, so the word the term sons of God is not mentioned in the Old Testament very much. Um, uh, in fact, there's only this is the only other location where the actual same phrase is used, sons of God. Um, and it, it says that the uh, one day the sons of God came before God. And so did Satan, and and uh, and then God says, "What are you doing here, Satan?" And he says, well, "I've been wandering the earth." And he talks about Job. Okay, but let me a couple points here though, and this is going to come down to another one. The sons of God are the angels, the good angels. The bad angels aren't included. The sons of God 
So if, 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 that's, if that's where you're taking the, what the sons of God mean, then you gotta think the good angels came down and married with men, okay, with the daughters of men. And somehow everything went, God got really angry and was going to destroy all mankind because of that, okay? Because Satan is not mentioned as one of the sons of God. The ones that come before him are the angels, the good angels. So, um, but there is some support there. And you go into Second Peter and Jude, and, and God says that God punished the spirits who disobeyed earlier and also destroyed the world by the flood. And those things are very close together. They're actually coordinate. There were one sentence in there. So those the spiritual beings who could got punished could have been with the, the Noah thing, or it could just be given examples, because he also gives the example of Sodom and Gomorrah in there, too, and that's not a thing. He's just listing them. So, but you could have some support there. Um, it does not explain why the word angels is not used. So the word angels is used 17 times in Genesis. So why, if you meant angels, why didn't you say angels? Or demons, or, you know, um, why the term sons of God? Um, and it doesn't explain why the whole of mankind was destroyed. So if this happened, why is mankind being punished for what God let happen with the spiritual beings, okay? And, and how did they turn them all to that? So you can tell which view I have in a second, okay? I, but I would say, in, in fairness, that about 90% of the scholars, uh, these conservative evangelical scholars is what I'm talking about, probably 80 to 90% would hold to this first view. I don't, okay? Uh, and so I'm taking a little time to explain it because you may choose the first view and I want you to at least be apprised of that there. Um, I think this is God's line of Seth and the daughters of men represent the line of Cain. Now, it's not that all the guys in the line of Seth were good and all the women in Cain were bad. This is a poetic thing, okay? It's a poetic thing. It's poetic in the sons of God being spirits and stuff like that and it's poetic and uh, either way, you have to have some kind of um, thing because if, if, if you take the first view literally um, and it's spirits marrying daughters of men, well, what about all the guys? Why are they being punished for what the women did? You know, I mean, you know, what's going on here? So there's some, there's, when, when it says the sons of God marries daughters of men, it doesn't mean that the sons of God, the God were all godly, and they married all ungodly women. It's talking about that that sons, men and women marry, and they intermarry between these two lines. It's, it's talking about an intermarriage of two lines, and what happened? Uh, the Nephilim then become mighty men. Again, this long, there's this long longevity in the godly line, and there's not that longevity in the ungodly ones. We have no indication of it. And there's these mighty men that come from this, this thing, the godly marriage with the ungodly. And there are, and sometimes that the, those marriages produce men that are super, sort of superhero type. That would certainly explain why they exist after the flood, because uh, Noah had three sons and they married women, and they may have married into, at least one or more might have married into an ungodly line. And those, they may be, the Nephilim are sort of the, the um, descendants of that. So we get that through there. Um, there's also Romans 8.25. Uh, so there's some support. Job's sons of God, in my opinion, supports, it, it actually supports this line, not the other one, because they were good angels and, and, and Job. And so that doesn't make sense that good angels caused, brought about judgment. Okay. Um, Romans 8.20, 18 uh, through 25, I'm going to 
go there real quick to that. Uh, this is actually one we have on suffering, but it says here, for I consider that, uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected fully, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Um, so I actually think that Paul is meditating on this whole creation and the fall aspect, and he calls the believers the sons of God here, okay? That, that, that all creation was brought into subjection because of the sons of God, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And so I think actually that there's a stronger passage in New Testament support for sons of God being the godly men and not. Um, it also explains why the whole mankind was destroyed. Because what it, if, if you follow this, what it says is intermarriage occurs to such an extent that that the godly line was corrupted. Okay? And um, it also explains why it's important for us to marry believers and as believers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that, that um, you cannot have, uh, they're saying that if, if you marry a non-believer, you're going to have trouble with your uh, father-in-law. Mm -hmm. the children. So, yes, so it says that thing. There is a, uh, the Israelites, and again, this is uh, written to the Israelites, were corrupted by the Moabites and others. They, they, there was this um, uh, sexual orgy just before they entered the promised land, and a lot were destroyed uh, because of that. Balaam, Balaam suggested that as a way to get a godly nation to, to make them have, you know, basically um, go play with the ungodly nation and basically follow their gods and stuff like that. So, so there, there is a problem here. Now, I, this is not to say that women are evil and men are good. It's just an example of a godly line and a non-godly line. One has to be male, one has to be male. So it's not that at all. If a godly woman marries an ungodly man, she's going to have problems. She's going to have more problems, I think, in a lot of ways than other ways. So it, 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 but either way, there's going to be this tussle, because there's always a tussle because of the fall. It says there's always going to be a pull in the marriage for supremacy of one or the other. Um, but it, in our society, to say it back down, men generally exert the higher control on that. Although, as I think of my big factory wedding, it says if the man is the head, but the woman, she is the neck, and she bends the head any way she wants. So, <laughs> so I think women have very strong leadership and abilities that is often hidden. But in any case, when going here, we see um, that Whoever, whoever's the match, whoever's the bad match, the, the ungodly person in their thing, they're pulling down the other person, and that will happen. And at the end, God realizes and says that um, there are, there's offer only for Jesus, and basically for God and me. Um, so now we can go back to this passage and look at the end on verse 5, and where it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intention of his thoughts of the earth was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. And um, I think what we get here is the God did not change his mind. And God was not caught unaware that this happened. 
and yet this is part of the storyline in the time-space continuum. And the best expression for what God felt is what he just said. Um, that at this point in the time-space, what has happened is the natural outworking of the fall. And it saddens. Mm-hmm. So what, what we need. And the word say, sad, God, again, God is beyond emotions, but the best the best way we can describe it is that God, God is sad with us, God suffers with us, God's concerned with us, um, and yet God knows all those things. And God also knows the end, and all things work out for good for those who believe. And yet at the time of this, it, it, he's so grieved with his heart. And, and what I want to say is just so, we actually, uh, firstly, one of the reasons that I have not taken a month break is um, uh, I had a grandson born, um, maybe prophetically named Noah, who lived actually for 41 days before the Lord in the flood time and passed away because um, he had problems that the surgeons couldn't care for and God chose to, to bring him to, to him. But um, the grieving, there's a lot of grieving. Grieving on my part, grieving on my wife's part, on my um, daughter and son-in-law's part. They, 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 the grief that will extend for such a long time for them, uh, and for us, all of us, but for them especially, years and years. God, we, we see here God loves them. God was grieved that He had made man on the earth, and yet it's a hundred years for the, the ark to be built to save. People that would carry on that tradition. He grieved for that. He grieved that he made man. He lives with that. And so God knows my grief. And I know he knows my grief because Jesus came to earth and lived and suffered and died. And in some way, Trinity rent asunder. God, the Godhead was rent asunder, and Jesus took our sin upon the cross. And so there's this pain that God has experienced that that I don't, I can't explain. And yet, Scripture teaches that. Scripture helps us understand that. And it wasn't just a hating anyone. He was a willing laying aside of his life. Jesus was 30 years old, 33, 34 when he died. It wasn't. And some people say, think of child abuse. No, I mean, he was a child of God. He was the son of God. But he was a man on his own right, and he made a choice on his own right to be the sacrifice. And the reason I say that is, is sometimes we don't slow down. I mean, this is so compact here. But here God realizes when things are out of control, when we have a year like we have now, what more, what more can go on? I mean, you think, oh, this is just the beginning. Things can get really bad. God feels for us. God is with us here. Mm-hmm. God grieved at the loss of my son and all. He feels their pain. So, um, this is not like, don't make this lightly. And don't take this that God had a plan for mankind. We disobeyed, we fell. Uh, through our own will. There was a restart with Seth, and it wasn't. So then there's not going to be another restart with Abraham, Terah, and Abraham as they go on uh, and, and enter the promised land.
he knows it was a sad world. The reason he did not end the world with the blood was because he has something really special to make for us. There's a redemption out there that makes his suffering worthwhile. So I want to go here, and I don't want to take the focus off the Son of God, God of Man. That's not an important discussion here. Okay, I, I do think that that's what Pompey's generation here was wanting. Whether it was spiritual beings or not, the fact is, is that mankind couldn't exist in and of themselves as they were. Now, what happened after the flood? We're sort of looking forward to this. We'll talk about this. I'm not going to go into detail on this, but I want to talk about this a little. After the flood, government was instituted. Mankind, as we see, before there was a community of man, but it was a sort of anarchy of man. That, but after the flood, the nations formed and the governments formed, and there is some checks and balances there. And then God takes one of the nations and says, "I'm going to tutor you on what it means to have a real God of inheritance, and what it what what it means to have, that there is only one God. There's a, a multiplicity of gods out there, and that, that, that there is only one true God, and this is how you worship Him." All preparation, 2,000 years of preparation for the cross coming. So we're going to be talking about that, but that's an inner future one. So let me go on to back to the removal history thing. There were five things, the generations of heaven and earth, which ended in the line of Lamech, the line of Cain and Lamech. And then this is the book of the generations of Adam, which starts back with God and Adam and ends again with uh, Noah. And then the generations of Noah, which which uh, talks about Noah uh, and his his children, and then there's the generations of the sons of Noah after the flood that I just talked about, and then the generations of Shem, which is one of the uh, sons of Noah, and then afterwards we go to Terah, and then uh, Ishmael, where the branch breaks off again into where it later becomes the uh, Arabs and the Arab nation, and Isaac, where the promised line continues. Esau, where the text which becomes that nation of Edom, and uh, also then the generation of Jacob, which carries on the godly line. So what we see here is a um, is the generations of the generations of heaven and earth ended in Lamech, when Seth generations of Adam, then the um, then the generations of Noah, the generations of the sons of Noah, and, and the generations of Shem. So we see that going out there and I. I there's no real order to the ups and downs per se, except there is again the fall of man going on, and then there's this God preparing Israel. Uh, um, and it does say it does say that Israel is the um, uh, Israel is the mother of the church. Uh, in Revelation, it talks about the, the uh, woman uh, giving birth to the child, Israel giving birth to the, the Messiah, and so. Israel, in some ways, is the womb of Christ. And so there's a gestation period here where, the, where Christ is formed inside. Mm -hmm. um, not, not Christ literally, but a consciousness of God and the nations and what God has to do and where he has to bring the rest of the world to, to the point where when the Christ is born, Jesus is the Messiah for the entire world. Mm -hmm. And yet, it birthed through the nation of Israel. It's really exciting. And think about this, it's all this in the first five, six chapters of Genesis. So uh, a very, very um, condensed thing. Um, I have, uh, when I was in seminary, I literally translated word for word the first four 
the chapters of Genesis and spent a whole semester discussing that as we did that. Um, since then, I think I've probably read this a hundred times, and yet preparing now, I find new stuff. And that's the thing, is God wants you to delve into Scripture and to think about things. And then, then what does this mean in my life? Okay, well, where is this? What about this suffering? What, 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 what was it like to live in those days? What was going on? And to be thankful for the life we had. Yes, Enoch walked with God and did this. But they didn't have the life we had. We are we are at the end of time at West Point. They have the word of God. And I have the community of the faithful. Yeah, there's a lot of problems. I mean, the community of the faithful, there's a lot of problems in the church. But thank God for the church. The church has really kept the word and passed it down. Yeah, we're following human beings, but but that the world has changed. When we say God today, we say something like God is love. No one challenges that. I mean, maybe a few, but really, no one. That's a Christian concept. That is not found in any other concept. Um, God is life. That God is omnipotent, ruling over all. That's a good concept that, that came through Christianity that the church got basically passed down. Now, did it always live in that life? No. Not by a long shot, because we are following him. And yet God planned the redemption for us. So I this is exciting to me. It ends it, it ends badly here, but then there's always a spark of hope for the, the next one, and that opens out. And that's the truth for us too. When we get into situations where things get bad, God does provide a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, redemption is always there for us if we reach out to I'm going to close us now. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. Thank you for your love to us. That um, you did not say, I'll make time to preserve something, but you have something very special planned for us uh, in this world of sorrow and in this world of sorrow. Um, you comfort us and encourage us and help us to reach out to others and bring them to you um, that we might have other brothers and sisters in eternity worshiping you and enjoying the blessings that you have promised uh, because you love us and care for us. We ask. Thank you and pray these things in your name.